Welcome to the podcast for First Presbyterian Church of Arlington Heights. During the spring and summer, we're going to be doing a sermon series called Through a Mirror Darkly. The idea behind this series is that we will look at various themes that are universal to the human experience. Each week, we will take a different theme and examine a single or several different stories from the Facebook blog, Humans of New York. I hope you enjoy. Uh, And with that, let us continue our worship with our first scripture reading. Comes from Proverbs chapter 16, verses one through four. The plans of the mind belong to mortals, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. Let me try that again. But the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. All one's ways may be pure in one's own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirit. Commit your work to the Lord, and your plans will be established. The Lord has made everything for its purpose, even the wicked for the day of trouble. The word of the Lord. Acts 20, 32 to 35. Um, This is Paul speaking, just so that we're in context here. And now I commend you to God and to the message of his grace, a message that is able to build you up, and to give you the inheritance among all who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or clothing. You know for yourselves that I worked with my own hands to support myself and my companions. And do you all know, just by tradition, he even says it in the scriptures, what, uh, what he did for a living, what he, what he did to support himself. What was he? He was a, he was a carpenter. He was a tent maker, technically. He, he built and sold tents for a living. That's what Paul did. In all this, I have given you an example that by such work we must support the weak, remembering the words of the Lord Jesus, for he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. This is the word of the Lord. So during the summer, we are doing a sermon series that is called Through a Mirror Darkly. And the idea is that each week we are looking at themes that are universal to the human Experience, And we're doing this by exploring stories from the Facebook blog, Humans of New York. Each week we're looking at stories from this blog and we're going through these experiences, which are very different from the experiences that most of us have had in this room. But in this way, it's like looking through a mirror darkly. The experiences we've had in our own lives, they may be a little bit like what those people have been through. And so the idea is is that we're going to dig down into the theme through those stories, and we're going to come to a better understanding, hopefully, of how we can walk alongside God and be better Christians in our lives. So each week, we begin with the stories. We uh, put them up on the screen. You can see the pictures, and you're going to hear the interview narrated by members of our congregation. So let's turn to our story for today. I don't have any big dreams. Back in Croatia, my mother worked in a bread factory and my father was unemployed. So I started working in restaurants as soon as I left high school. I don't know, maybe one day I'll open a hostel by the sea. After this, I go to work at the pizza shop. My wife and I were college professors in Bangladesh. I taught accounting, but $1 in America becomes $80 when we send it back home. They make it tough for working mothers. I don't know why they have to schedule all of this stuff during the day. My first grader is playing a hammerhead shark in his class play, but it's at 11 in the morning. They scheduled Mother's Day tea on a Friday. 
but they put the Father's Day tea on a weekend, of course. The other day, my first grader told me how lucky his friend was that his mom didn't work and could come to everything. That one hurt a little. This used to be my store. I put everything I had into it. I dropped out of school when I was 16, and by working two jobs, I managed to save about $90,000. I spent it all on this store. I was the bookkeeper, the buyer, and the sales guy. We even made a profit our first year. I think it was like $213, but it was a profit. The happiest moment for me was when we were signing the papers and giving the landlord our deposit. Everything felt so real. The saddest moment was three years later when that same man was standing over us while we packed our stuff and he was telling us that we had only an hour to get out. I'm working on my second doctorate and doing clinical research in HIV. I've always wanted to be a tenure track professor, but I've been questioning that lately. I imagine that one day I get to a place where I can do the research that I want to do. But I'm seeing now that it's more about doing the research that'll get funded. I'm noticing a lot of disenchantment among my senior mentors. They don't get to be as innovative as they'd like. Their primary task seems to be sustaining the institution. It's not about doing the research that they think will make the most impact. It's about going for the most likely money. It's publish or perish, fund or get fired. And education suffers as well. I'd love to teach, and I've always thought that teaching would be a big part of the process, but it's not emphasized because teaching is paid for by tuition. It's money in, money out. But research funding comes from outside the school. It's new money. All right, so what do each of these stories have in common? They're talking about their, their work, right? Their jobs, what they're doing. And so I love these stories because I think each of these people, they talk about their employment in markedly different ways. They're doing their jobs for very different reasons. And that's what I want to explore today. I want to explore the question of why do we work? Why do we spend all of this time in our careers? What's the purpose behind it? And then I want to delve into the biblical understanding of work. And I want to try to come to an understanding of how that perspective can really shift our value of why we work, why we do our jobs. So to begin, I want to pose a question to you all. It's a question you already know the answer to. But I'm going to pose it anyway because it's going to open the door to a completely different way for us to think about these things into a larger discussion. The question I want to pose is, why do we have to work a job at all? <laughs> now, what's the answer to that? You know why you work a job so you can earn what? Money, right? Yeah? And that money, what does it pay for? It pays for food. It pays for a roof over your head. It pays for clothing. It pays for transportation, right? You all know this to be true, yes? Of course you do. Okay, so I'm going to pose the question in a slightly different way. Why do we have to work a job at all? Why do we have to spend eight hours a day at a job to get access to those things I just mentioned? Food, shelter, clothing, transportation. Who made that a rule that you have to do those things to get that stuff? Who came up with the idea of working a job at all? Because... The way we live now as human beings is not the way that we have always lived. If you go back to when humans were living in hunter-gatherer societies, which is how we lived for the first 90,000 years of our existence, this is how it worked, you'd have a tribe of people, 
And that tribe of people, they would support each other. And they would make sure that everybody in that tribe had access to food, shelter, clothing. Everybody was equal. No one person was better than anyone else. And so when they brought home food, it was divided evenly. When you had a shelter, the shelter was essentially the same. You were cared for the same by everybody else. If you had a job, if you even want to call it a job, it was that you were trying to contribute to the well-being of the tribe. So what changed? Because that's not the way we work today, is it? No. What changed is that around 10,000 years ago, humans figured out how to farm. Now today, we take that for granted, right? Farming. But 10,000 years ago, that was a massive innovation. And it changed things completely for humans. Because no longer did you have to wander around to find the food that you needed. Now, humans were in control of how much food they could produce. Big deal at the time. And what you have to appreciate is that all of this ability to farm, it created this dilemma for human beings. So let's say you're the farmer. And you're going to go through all this trouble. You're going to till the ground and you're going to plant the seeds, right? And you're going to harvest the crop. What's to prevent another group of humans from coming along and taking all of your hard work? So this is where the idea first developed of land ownership. First time humans ever came up with that was because of farming. Because prior to farming, you didn't need land ownership. You were wandering to find your food. Now, that didn't mean that humans didn't protect a certain territory that you knew had a lot of food resources in it, like they would protect that. But the idea that I would claim this land as my own didn't exist. Didn't exist until you could farm. And the reason why is because some land is better for farming than other land, right? OK, you with me so far? All right, good. OK, so you just claimed a piece of land for yourself. You're like, hey, guess what? This is mine now, right? You have another problem on your hand, which is if you have a small piece of land, you can protect it from other people coming in and taking it from you. But let's say you claimed a lot of land. How are you going to protect that? That's a lot harder, isn't it, when you have acres and acres and acres of land and you can't see it all. If you're the farmer and you've got to farm the land, can you farm and protect it at the same time? No. So that's when you come out and you say, hey, Alex, I notice that you aren't doing much right now. Would you mind protecting my land for me while I go out and farm it? And in exchange, I'll give you some of my food. This is where the concept first developed of soldiers and armies, because they needed to protect that land. So you own your piece of land, right? You got me protecting it for you. So now what can you do? Well, now you can actually build a permanent home on that land. No longer do you have to have a home that you can pick up and move at a moment's notice, right? Now you can build your home out of things like wood and stone and brick. So that's stability. You're now landlocked. Are you with me so far, right? You're landlocked. You're in this one place. And because you're landlocked, because you're there, it changed everything about the way humans work. You don't realize this, and I didn't realize this until I researched it, which is that now that you're in one place, everybody's focusing on maintaining that stability. So how are you going to maintain it? Well, we already said some people are protecting, some people are farming. But other people, they're going to be builders. They want to build houses on that land, right? Other people, they are going to have to work to produce cloth and clothes, right? Other people, they're going to have to produce the tools that you're going to need to build that stuff or weapons. So each of these specialized roles, whether we're talking about the soldier, the farmer, the seamstress, the builder, or the blacksmith, whether you're talking about any of these specialized roles, this 
role contributes to society, and what you are able to do in that is you're able to trade it out, right? You're able to trade that up. So you can say, hey, I give you this skill, and you give me something back. Now, 10,000 years ago, that was trading and bartering. You have a skill today, what do you do? You get what for it? You get money, right? Which is a relatively new invention, only 2,500 years old. So, so back then, you would trade the skill, which brings me back to the larger question, which is, why do we need jobs at all? Right? That was the question I posed. Now, I set out, when I, when I was writing this sermon, to prove to you that we didn't need jobs. That was like, I was going to say, you know what, it's an artificial construct. We just make it up, right? But what I came to realize through my research is I was wrong about that, actually. That what a job is, is that it's a system of exchange. The reason why you have to work a job and earn money is so that you can be good at one thing, preventing you from having to be good at everything, right? So now, you don't have to be the soldier, the farmer, the seamstress, the builder, or the blacksmith. Now, you can do one of those things, and everybody else can contribute, and we all benefit from each other's hard work. That's the system we developed as humans, which is kind of ingenious when you think about it, right? It means you don't have to do as much. Now, that's 10,000 years ago. And 10,000 years ago, all those jobs that we just saw up there, those jobs were essential for society to function. If you did not do those jobs well, things would not turn out very well. There could be severe consequences for that. So if you don't farm the land well, what happens? People starve. If you don't protect the land well, what happens? Somebody else could come in and kill you. If you don't build your home well, what happens? Well, guess what? Now you're landlocked. You could freeze during the winter, right? You're not moving. People used to move with the weather. As it got, warm, as it got colder, you would go down south, and then you come back. You're staying on that land. You're not moving anymore. So if you did those things poorly, people suffered. Your job made a real difference in the world. Now, in our modern world, we've become so efficient at those basic things that our jobs have changed a lot. How many people in here farm for a living, other than you. <laughs> other than you. Right. You weren't supposed to be here today. Okay, nobody, right? Okay. So no, nobody. We go, yeah, but I am happy that you're here. Say so, thank you. So most people don't farm for a living. What do you do? When you need food, where do you go? Grocery store. Hey, if you need a tool, do you go to your local blacksmith to have them forge one for you? No, what do you do? You go to Home Depot or Lowe's, right? Machines make that stuff for us now. So what's happened is our jobs have shifted and changed to the point where they don't have the same meaning and purpose that they used to have. And so as a result, what's happening is most people work jobs today where they feel unfulfilled. I, I found a 2017 Gallup poll that said that 85% of Americans hate their jobs. That is astounding. 85% of Americans hate their jobs. And that's where I want to get into the Humans of New York stories. Because I think these stories are going to help us parse out the difference between the 15% of people who love their jobs and the 85% who don't. I want to start with this young woman from Croatia. So this young woman, she watched her parents, right? They worked in like bread factories and stuff. And so she comes here, she finishes high school, and she gets directly into what industry? The restaurant industry. So there she is. She's a hostess in, this, in New York City. Is this what she's been called to do? Is this her passion in life, being a hostess? No, it's not, right? She's doing this 
to get by and to earn a paycheck. And what does she say she wants to do? She Maybe one day she'll do what? Open a, a hostel by the sea. Beautiful idea, right? But she's doing what most people do. Most people, they will work a job for long periods of time simply hoping that something better will come along, right? You're getting by, you're surviving, but it's not what you were called to do. It's not what you were meant to do. And this contributes to that 85% of people, I think, is that a lot of people are just working a job so that they can hope that one day they might be able to do something better. Now, this leads me to the guy from Bangladesh. So, this guy was a professor, right? What did he teach? Do you remember? He teaches what? Accounting. He, he, both he and his wife are professors back in Bangladesh. But now he's here, and where is he working? He's working at what? A convenience store, right? Why? Because $1 here becomes 80 back home in Bangladesh. And then when he's done with this job, where does he go? Pizza. Goes out and he gets, he gets pizza, like he works at a pizza joint. So, he's willing to sacrifice his passion for the financial security he can bring to his family, right? Now, how often are we willing to do that? How often do people do that? Not just immigrants who come here and they're siphoning the money back home. I'm talking about all of us, right? Like, there's a lot of people who work a job because they're willing to sacrifice that passion for the money that they could earn. Now, this is a big deal, right? It's honorable to do that. Like, don't get me wrong. It's honorable to sacrifice that. But do you know how much of your life you spend working? More than 100,000 hours of your life are spent at work. And if you don't love what you're doing, that's a big sacrifice because that can wear you down over time. And so eventually, right, that's why you get to those 85% of people who hate their job because they're doing something that they don't love and over time it just wears them out. And then on top of this, not only do you have to have a job, but what else do you have to have? You gotta care for your family, right? And in our families, what we find is that we go to work and our employers, they treat us like we don't even have a family like most of the time. Most of the time, it's kind of like, well, it's natural for your, your job to consume your entire life, right? I mean, that's the way it should be, isn't it? And then at the same time, there's this social expectation that you're there for your family, whether it be your kids or your parents or your brothers and sisters. And you can feel this tension going on in the story that we saw here from this woman who works at the New York Stock Exchange. So this poor woman, she's working as hard as she can to provide for her son, right? But she can't make it to all of her son's functions at school. So her son is in, he's what, he's, what did she say he was? Like a hammerhead shark in, in a play, right? It's 11 in the morning. Do you know anything about the markets? At 11 in the morning, very hard to leave, right? When you're in the middle of your day at the stock exchange. And then on top of that, she's had to deal with all of the sexism at school where they say, Right? I guess at the school that her son goes to, they have these teas, and then they schedule the father's tea for Saturday, because they assume what? Father's work during the week. And then they schedule the mother's tea for middle of the week, because I guess at this school they assume moms don't work. And it sounds to me like she's exhausted from it, doing all of this. And I think that that leads to this downward spiral in people's lives a lot of time. They're working hard at these jobs that they don't particularly like, they're either not earning enough money or the money they earn is sufficient, but then they come home and they're just worn out and tired and they don't have anything to give to their families. And so this game that we play, all of us in society, there are very, very few winners and a lot of losers in this. And one person who we might qualify as a loser 
in this is this guy right here. So this is a guy who saved 90 grand, goes out, opens his own business, it closes in three years. But there is qualitatively something very different about this guy, right? Compared to everybody else who we've talked to because it's clear that he loved what he was doing, right? I mean, you could hear that come through in his story. He was so proud of himself for opening the store. What did he say? Remember he said, I was the bookkeeper, the buyer, and the sales guy. He did everything for that business. So even though the business failed, he was passionate about it. And he was felt that it was worth to put in that time, that energy, that money. He felt that that was worthwhile because it was going to make a better life for him. And this is something that you see among those 15% of people who really really love their jobs, is that they're doing something that they're not only passionate about, but they feel is going to provide them with an opportunity to do more with their life, not just for themselves, but for others. And so at the root of the problem as to why so many people hate their jobs, I really think it's because most of the stuff that we end up doing, we feel like it makes little to no difference to society. Like the things that we do, it's making no impact on anybody. And so we're just working to earn a paycheck so we don't starve. And so what this tells us is that when you divorce meaning and purpose from our work, we feel disposable. We feel like we're just a cog in the wheel. You just pull us out, put us back in, right? You can get rid of me, no problem. I'd be gone, you can get somebody else the next day. It's not enough for us just to earn a paycheck. We have to feel like we're making a larger contribution to something that matters. Otherwise, we're just wasting our time. And you can see that struggle with this guy. Now, this guy is working on his second PhD. Getting one PhD, not easy to do, right? He's working on his second one, and he wants to change the world for the better. And he is in the sense that he's working on a cure for HIV. Big deal. Clearly, this guy is brilliant, right? But he wants to be a professor. And when you're a professor, you got to do research. And you got to go where the money is. So he can't necessarily just research his passions. He's got to go wherever the money is. So that means he could spend years of his life researching something that he doesn't even care about. So here you have this guy who could probably change our world in amazing ways. But his motivation to want to innovate is getting destroyed by the fact that he has to go and look for money. Right? This is what I'm talking about. We say, does money provide you? with happiness. Not necessarily, right? He has to, because that's his focus, it's snuffing out his desire to want to be this amazing clinician. But he can't do it because he has to follow this predetermined path. So what's happening is what happens to a lot of us. Our work is snuffing the joy out of our lives. And so the question is, how do you get that joy back? And that's where we turn to the biblical understanding of work. Because to me, this understanding can totally shift the value of what we care about in the world. So, let's look at Proverbs real quick. Commit your work to the Lord, and your plans will be established. The Lord has made everything for its purpose. What the author is trying to say here is that it doesn't matter what you do. Well, however you work, you have to do it with God in mind. Now, that's pretty easy for me to say, right? I'm a pastor. I can do everything with God in mind. A little harder for you guys to do, right? But it's not when you realize that this is all about a mindset. It's about a perspective. It's about a way of looking at the world and understanding your identity. Your identity. So here's the thing. 
We all wear a lot of hats, don't we, in our lives? I wear a lot of different hats. So I'm a husband, a father, a pastor, a writer, and I consider myself a pretty decent weightlifter. Those are the five things I care about in life, okay? So now some of those hats, some of those hats are hats I wear at home, hats I wear at work, hats I wear for fun. Now those are things that I do. Those things, though, do not necessarily represent my identity. And this is the problem we get into, is that oftentimes the things that you do for work become your identity. For me, all those hats that I wear are great, but my identity is bound up in being a follower of Jesus. So no matter what I do, my Christian identity takes precedence over that. And that's what we're talking about in Acts today. That's why we read from Acts. So what I tell you that he does for a living, Paul, what's he do for a living? He's a what? Tent maker, right? All right. I have to imagine that building and selling tents, probably not the most fulfilling work that you could do. But you know what? It doesn't matter because Paul's Christian identity takes precedence. He uses the opportunity to build and sell tents to finance his ability to travel and establish churches. So his meaning and purpose doesn't come from his job. His meaning and purpose comes from his Christian identity, which his job helps to fund, essentially. And so what I want you to understand is that if you're willing to dissociate and untangle your work from your identity, it can do wonders for you. So if you're part of that 85% of people who struggle with finding fulfillment in their work, one of the reasons why you probably feel that way is because you're trying to find meaning and purpose in that work. And the truth is, today, you're probably not going to be able to find that. It's not like it was 10,000 years ago where what you were doing was essential for society to function. That just doesn't exist. The truth is, most of our jobs, we are replaceable. We could go on and we could leave and the world will go on just fine without us. So what you have to do is you have to make a shift. If you are willing to root your meaning and your purpose in your Christian identity, then your job becomes irrelevant. The job just becomes a conduit through which you can live out your Christian faith. And that's the beautiful thing about Christianity, is that it doesn't really matter what you do. You can do anything and make a positive difference in the world. If you are willing to look at your job and allow God to guide your actions, you can make positive ripples regardless of the job. And so my prayer for you today is that you might love what you do, not because you were called to do it. Not because it's what you were meant to do. Not because you're even passionate about it. But because it gives you an opportunity to live out your Christian identity and your Christian faith. Because when we look at our work through the lens of trying to make the world a better place, then the fact is, it doesn't matter whether you work the most menial job or a job that's the most important thing in the world. The fact is, you can make a difference. And you should take that to the bank. Amen. Thanks for listening. And if you want to learn more about First Presbyterian Church of Arlington Heights, please visit www.firstpresah.org for more information on service times, directions, and to learn more about the First Pres family of faith.